Welcome to the Central Christian Church Message Podcast. We are passionate about leading people to discover and fully own faith in Jesus. It is our desire that the following message inspires you to take your next steps in your own faith. Let's dive in. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome those of you who are on any of our sites and welcome those of you who are watching online. It is great to have you. So let me just uh, let me just address the obvious here. Uh, I've been asked a thousand times already this weekend. What happened to your foot? Let me just I'll explain it one time. I wish it was a really cool story that I was doing something like I was skydiving or skiing down some black diamond or something cool. That's not what happened. What happened was I had strained in my foot. The tendons uh, in my foot, I knew something was wrong. And then two Thursday nights ago, um, I was walking up those steps right there, right before I preached to go over the message slides. And I do that every week. And I had a cup of coffee in my hand, headed up the steps, and uh, I wiped out. I just biffed. I just crashed. And uh, as soon as I crashed, I knew I had done something bad. Didn't know what it was. I was hoping it would just go away. Waited a couple of days. Realized that when you're putting a sock on and you wince, that you've done something. So I finally got into a doctor. Uh, Basically, what he told me is, is I severed uh, a tendon in my foot. I have to have surgery, which I'm trying to get done this week. I'm going to be in this thing for a while. And uh, it's it's a preaching wound. No, the Apostle Paul, if you read, he had all these things happen to him and he never said, you know, he severed a tendon in preaching, but I did. And that's my story and I'm sticking to it. Now, here's the deal. I'm going to ignore this thing from here on out every week. I'm going to ask you to do the same. It's no big deal. I'll get it fixed and we'll be done. Now, when you wear a boot, there's a purpose behind a boot. I want to show you some things that have no purpose whatsoever. I want to show you a couple of worthless ideas. Uh, these are absolutely, you're not going to disagree. These are worthless ideas. Um, these are real. I'm not making these up. I want to show you some pictures. You got to stare at that for just a second to see why it's a worthless idea. Any golfer here knows the last thing you want is a golf ball you can't find <laughs> that hides from you. All right. Absolutely worthless idea. Here's a second worthless idea. If you don't know it, there is no caloric count whatsoever to water, and uh, diet water is no such animal. Don't pay for it. Here's the third one. All right, and you got to stare at this for just a second. This is an automatic ice cream cone that spins by a battery. You cannot eat the cone. You can only eat the ice cream for super lazy people, I guess. Uh, it's just too much work to lick an ice cream cone. Here's the next worthless idea. Can't even imagine how you would go about eating ramen or noodles or whatever from that. Here's the next one. Self-explanatory. Ladies, could you imagine wearing little umbrellas on your feet? And then this one you have to stir at for just a second or you won't get it. It's a real product. 
And it, obviously, it's a, a DVD rewinder. DVDs do not need to be rewound. And so there you go. Now, uh, the reason I'm showing you those worthless ideas is because in our text today, uh, James is going to hit us hard with an absolutely worthless idea. But he's going to do that to instruct us. So here's what I want to ask you to do. Take your Bibles out, turn to James chapter 2. And uh, we're going to look at, uh, we're going to finish chapter 2 today. So we're going to begin with verse 14. And what I'm going to do is I'm just going to read, uh, I'm going to read the text. And then we're going to do what we often do, which is let's go back and make sure we get it. Okay. So let's just get it all so we can understand it and kind of hear it. And your task here is simply this, find the worthless idea. All right. Find the worthless idea. Here it is. All right. Now, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if somebody claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food, and if one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But somebody will say, well, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without your deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? <clears throat> you see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. So what's the worthless idea? It's pretty easy to pick up, all right? <clears throat> you, here's a worthless idea. You can have faith in Jesus and nothing to show for it. That you can have faith and nothing to show for it. So let me give you the big idea and then we'll break it down, all right? Genuine faith always reveals itself through the tangible action of blessing others. Genuine faith. That's what we're talking, we're talking about real, okay? Genuine faith always, always, always makes itself known, reveals itself. Through, tan, through a, a, some tangible form of blessing others. Now, I'm going to stop here and pray. Uh, by now, you have understood something. If you've been coming through this book of James study, you realize that James does not pull punches. James is not subtle. He is not discreet. James is an in-your-face, call it like it is, spell it out. Uh, he is not the least bit concerned about making us uncomfortable. And that is why it is so worth our time. But here's our deal. We got to we got to put our, our fist down and, and like literally put them on the table. But here's one better. Turn your hands up and go, God, just give it to me. Uh, my prayer is, is that as we wrestle with this, you'll go out of here and, and, and wherever you are, you'll go think about this and what it means for you. So I can't do that without the Spirit's help. So let me pray and then we're, we're going to dive back in here. Uh, so God, I do pray that you, you simply do what only you can do. Uh, I cannot make words stick. I cannot make words impact. I cannot make people uh, 
experience what you have for them. Only you can do that. And God, I just ask that you would. And uh, use this text to stir it up within us. Make us think deeply. And make us uncomfortable if we need to be. And I pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So I want to explain something that um, most of us think is true. Most of us think that what God does in heaven is he looks down at us and that his eyes get misty. He, his eyes twinkle. He, he, he loves it when we learn truth about him. That when we like discover uh, aspects of the characteristics of God, that somehow God's like going, oh, it makes me feel so good when you know me this way. Now, I'm not saying that he doesn't feel good when we know the truth about him. I'm not saying that. But because we believe that somehow this is what moves God, we give ourselves to activities that would cause us to get to know God better. So when I want to come to church, and I want to open my Bible, and I want to go home, and I want to spend time in my Bible, and I want to journal, and, and I want to memorize, and I want to meditate. And all the while we do that, we are compounding the knowledge that we have of God as if at the end of our life, the thing that's going to happen is we're going to be placed in a in a, in a desk like we were in school, and we're going to be given a bubble sheet with a number two pencil, and, and we're going to have to answer questions about God. And if we get the test, if we pass the test, if we get enough answers right, we're going to get into heaven. I think what James is trying to tell us is, guys, we're, 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 we're doing it wrong. That is not the game that we're playing here. And, and that there's more to it than this. All right? Genuine faith always reveals itself through the tangible action of blessing others. Now let's go back, and I want to show you this a little more closely, okay? So let's just back up where we've already been. Let's go back to verse 14. Let me just read down. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if somebody claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is, is without clothes and daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs. What good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. What good is it? James asked, like, what's the value in it? What use is it to have faith that does nothing? What, what, what good is it? Uh, I was reminded of this peanuts cartoon as I was writing this message. There's uh, Linus and, and Charlie. Snoopy looks kind of cold, doesn't he? Yeah, I'll say he does. Uh, maybe we better go over and comfort him. Be, be a good cheer, Snoopy. Yes, be of good cheer. And then they walk away. There's, no, nothing to un, there's nothing difficult about understanding that. The words that we say to, to, to somebody um, is not most likely what they, de they desperately needed to hear. It, they needed us to do something to come alongside them. This is the point that James is making. I want to take us back to last week. And if you were here last week, I want to apologize for Caleb's behavior. If you were here, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you don't, then you can watch it online. Uh, and by the way, if you, uh, if you walked out in the first five minutes last week, you're never coming back to this church, I can guarantee you. And again, if you were here, you know what I'm talking about. All right. Um, uh, in his text last week, uh, Caleb covered a section that I want to just take you back to. I, I want to show you something, and I want to make this crystal clear. James chapter 2, we're backing up. Okay, this was last week. James 2, verses 2 through 4. 
Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy uh, old clothes also comes in. Now, if you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, hey, here, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves or become judges with evil thoughts? Okay, that's loaded. What's he saying? You, 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 you've literally, you have assessed the value of somebody based on the appearance of them, of, of what you see. And he says, you've become a judge and you have an evil motive. Now let's make sure we understand. You become a judge because you determine this guy's loaded, this guy's not, this guy's worth more than this guy's worth, however you go about that. But here's the evil thought. Don't miss it. If you look at people and the judgment in your mind is, what can I get from them that will make my life better? You have become a judge with an evil motive. That's the point. That's exactly the point. And here's the problem, folks. We do this all the time. You know where you learned how to do this? In elementary school. In elementary school, you, you kind of started understanding the difference between cool kids and not cool kids. You know, really, really geeky you know, kind and, and the really kind of the popular kind. And there's something within all of us that wants to be identified with the, the beautiful people, the, the good ones. And, and, and so we gravitate that direction. And then what happens is we, we take what we learned in elementary school, we sharpen it in, in junior high school, middle school, and then we get really, really good at this in high school. Can I get an amen from anyone who's honest in the room? I, I heard a few. Okay. We learn how to use people because, see, then you graduate into the real world and uh, we become absolutely masterful at it. How can I use this person to advance myself? And you know why it's evil? Because at no point are we looking at people, not as for what we can get from them, but how could I actually bless them? How could I actually benefit them? And whenever you're looking at people and you're making judgments about their worth, you are on the edge of whether you're placing them above you or beneath you. You are and I am on the edge of sin. John, the Apostle John said it this way. In 1 John 3.16, he said, uh, 3.17, if anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with word or tongue, but with actions and truth. This, then, is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. Now, listen, if you're not a person of faith, there is no expectation on you to make any difference in anybody else's life. It's just whether you're a good person and want to do that. And that's a value judgment that a good person would want to do that. But if you're a person of faith, and my guess is that most of you are, or I don't think you'd be here, we don't have the option of not doing something. We don't have the option of turning a blind eye or a deaf ear to a need that we see. Uh, and I, I need to make sure we understand something, all right? Uh, it's really easy to say, look, I believe in God and that's good enough. I believe in God and that's all God wanted from me. Or to say the opposite, you know, that, hey, I do a lot of stuff. And, and uh, in fact, James says it, look at verses 18 and 19. Uh, but someone will say, you have faith and I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God, good, even the demons believe that and 
shudder. Now listen, look at me, please, 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 wherever you are, look at me, look at me, look at me. I'm going to say something that's very, very important. If you miss this, you will miss the point, all right? You have to get this. You have to understand this. We are never, ever, ever saved by anything we did or do. Salvation is a gift from God by the grace of God. We are never saved by what we do. But if we are saved, there are things we should do. Salvation, it's not, a, it's not, that's not what it's about. It's a result of being saved. So, so I guess I would say it this way. The argument goes, if somebody goes, look, I believe, and all God wants is for me to believe. And somebody else is over here going, no, no, what God wants you is he wants you to do something. And, and you're putting all the emphasis on belief. He's looking at your actions. So, I, so here's a simple question. Actually, two questions. Which airplane or, or which wing on an airplane is more important? The left one or the right one? You got to get rid of one of them. Which one's going to go? And the answer is so obvious. You can't fly an airplane without two wings. You need both of them. If you don't have both of them, you're going nowhere. Another question. On a helicopter, which set of rotors is more important? The big ones on top or the little ones in the back? And the answer is, they're both important. If you take the little ones in the back away, that thing's going to spin around like a gyroscope. If you take the top, it can't lift. They're absolutely both important, and they're both essential to fly. John Calvin, the, 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 the reformer in Geneva, Switzerland, said this many years ago. He said, faith alone saves, but the faith that saves is never alone. You can't just say, I got one. Now, here, here so... I've told you this on numerous occasions. I have a group of people on, on staff and people from our church who work with me on these messages every weekend. I was with one of those groups, the teaching team, this past week, and we were talking about this passage, and I just asked this question. I said, okay, just curious, uh, staff members, if you were to assess us as a church, just us, all right, what are we more guilty of? Do we put too much emphasis on believing or do we put too much emphasis on doing? And then we just had a vibrant discussion. It was very lively. It was good. But you know what we concluded? We're kind of guilty of both. You see, this is what we thought. As we read, we're a multi-generational church. And here's what we, this is what we, this is our reasoning. The older we are, like my age, we tend to put more emphasis on faith. It's more about knowing God. It's more about a relationship. It's more about God, God, God. That's the older. It's not so much at my age about what you're doing. It's about what you know. But then we realize that, you know, with the younger people, we start to realize it's kind of the opposite. It's just, I, no, they want to make a difference. They want to do it. Don't tell me I'm supposed to sit and listen. I want to go do something for God. And so the truth of the matter is, is as a church, we can get out of balance if we don't understand that we're all called to do both, not one, not just one. And by the way, this thing about just so, hey, it's just about belief in God. Do you see the point James makes? Don't miss it. You think it's about belief in God? He says the demons in hell believe in God. The demons in hell, they're not sitting around going, you know, I'm, a, I'm an atheistic demon. I don't believe in God. There's not a demon who doesn't believe in God. But you see what James did? He didn't stop with belief. He says their belief in God causes them to do something. What do they do? Did you see it? 
They shudder. How many people who go to church say they believe in God and they don't even shudder at the thought of God anymore? James, you're, 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 you're kicking us hard here. Uh, 2017 survey by Pew Research Center about American Protestants. Just one thing I want to point out. In this 2017 survey, 46% of Americans believe that faith in God alone is all that's needed to get him into heaven. It's just belief. You just have to believe. You just have to believe. If you believe, if you believe. It's all about a private belief in God. James goes, no, it's not. Now, again, I know this makes us uncomfortable. Please, I'm not unaware. But, folks, we're in the word of God here. James is going, do something about it. And, and by the way, i got to show you this. He gives two examples. I'll give them really fast. There is nobody in the Jewish world, there is no one in the Old Testament that you would say is of greater significance. I mean, there are some big players, David and Moses, but Abraham Abraham is called the father of the patriarch of the patriarchs, the father of the Jewish nation. And then he goes to him. Look, look at this. Look at verse 20. He's going to use him as an example. See, and if you were with us this summer on the road with, uh, we talked about this very story. But here, here's what happened. Uh, James says, you foolish person. I got to stop there. Talk about not, not being like discreet. When he says you foolish person, the word he uses in the original language, you hollow empty person. It's not a compliment. He goes, you think that just having one or the other, hey, listen, that's empty. But here's what he said. You foolish person, do you want evidence of faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. He's using Abraham. He's not saying Abraham was saved because he did this. He did this because he was saved. And he took his son, his one and only son, which was a prototype of Jesus. And he was willing to give him up. And God goes, you get it. You get it. And then he, James goes to the exact opposite. Okay, now follow this. Nobody's going to be revered more than, Moses, uh, more than Abraham. And then he goes to another Old Testament story about a prostitute woman. And this is a story of Rahab. And if you don't know the story of Rahab, when Joshua sent the spies out to go spy out Jericho, this lady saw the spies, could have turned them in, but she believed in the God of the Israelites. And she hid them. And, and in fact, this is what it says. Look at verse uh, 25. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did and when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. It wasn't just, hey, be good, be well, be safe. No, she did something to help them. No, no, no. Okay, make sure you see it. High up on the social status, very wealthy, way down, has not much. James goes, it's all about faith in action, folks. That's what it's about. Now, Let's get the last verse and we'll wrap up. James 2.26. This one is the kick in the teeth, all right? 
James 2.26 says, As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. I, I don't know if you've caught on, but James has mentioned death now a, a number of times. I just haven't pointed it out. You know, death, dead, it, that's an interesting word. Um, it's really easy to just gloss over this, but you need to stop and understand what he said. He said, there's something dead um, um, amongst you in your midst. Um, your faith is dead. If, if there's no action. Now, now look, again, let's just stop and let's just acknowledge. We get really, really uncomfortable with the whole idea of death. I, I said this many times. We would never even talk about death if it weren't for funerals. We would have nothing to do with funerals except when they're family and close friends and you feel like I really can't but go. And you sit there at a funeral and it's that one time where you really stop and pause to think about what is this all about anyway? There's a, a couple of things I need you to see. J James said that... Um, that faith without action is dead, okay? He didn't say it was weak. He didn't say it was sick. He said it was dead. Let me tell you a couple of things about death, all right? Death is about decay. Now, I, I, it's unpleasant, I get it, but that's what death is about. It's about decay. It's about going backwards, okay? Uh, death is a state you find yourself in, James says, when the spirit leaves your body, when the life leaves your body, when, when the life leaves your body, there's a number of things I could tell you, all right? I could tell you that I could say unbelievably unkind things about the person in this casket, and uh, no matter how cruel, how harsh, how unfair, how whatever, they would never hear me, nor would it move them. I would never, but I could slap the person, pinch the person, poke the person. You know what death means? Utter unresponsiveness. James says your faith is utterly unresponsive if there's nothing in action. It's incredibly convicting, folks. You know, it's interesting. When somebody's trying to determine, like a paramedic, an EMT, whatever, they show up, they're trying to assess vital signs. Vital signs, vita, the word for life. We gotta know, is this person alive? And they're gonna check some things on a, on a person. They're gonna, they're gonna measure something. They're gonna, the body temperature, the blood pressure, the pulse rate, respiration rate. Uh, do eyes dilate? Is there oxygen in the blood? They're gonna test all of that. They're going to try to determine if the person is yet alive. Or have they passed from this life and they're dead? You know, it's interesting to me. What would be the vital signs of life in Christ? What, what would be, like, what would be the tangible things that somebody could look at and determine whether, see, I would put it this way. This is what I know. When, when somebody comes to faith in Jesus, and some of you are in this boat, man, you come to faith in Jesus, you are so alive. We have an expression. We say you're on fire. A person's on fire. Their faith is on fire because they cannot but do certain things. 
They cannot but tell everyone they know about Jesus. They cannot but invite everyone they know to come to church with them. They cannot but worship with everything they got when there's a worship set going on. They cannot but pray. They cannot but when we say open the Bible, they're opening the Bible. They do it. They do extra credit. They do it on their own during the week. Nobody's making them. And they pray and they meditate and they memorize. Those aren't things that save you. Those are not things that, those are indications of being saved. Those are vital signs of life. When, when we, you know, giving and sacrificing, it's none of it matters. It's all about Jesus. So, the question is, are there vital signs of your life Uh, I can't, all I can tell you is that dead people don't respond. But people who are alive do. I don't know if you've been paying attention to the news, but let me tell you what's going on around us. I'm assuming you're aware. You probably heard this by now. Let me just fire off. Sixth thing I want to fire off. Phoenix led all major cities in America with an inflation rate increase over the past 12 months of 13%. If there's one thing you never want to be at the, t- the top of the list, it's this one. Our money's going, uh, it's going less distant. Uh, it's got less buying power than any other city in the nation this past year. Year over year, the cost of rent in the Phoenix area has increased 15.6%. Real wages in America declined 2.6% from April 2021 to April 2022. Americans lost $6 trillion in household wealth in the last three months. Inflation is costing the average American almost $9,000 this year. And 20% of American households are delinquent on utility payments. Now, I don't know what you feel when you hear that. I don't know what it does to you. But I want to point something out. People who have genuine faith in God just don't hear it. They do something. They do something. Now, I want to show you something that you might or might not have caught. I didn't point it out before, but I'm going to point it out right now. Because I think that there's two realms in which we need to be responding. One realm is within the church. The other realm is outside the church. But let me explain, within the church. Did you catch what he said? I didn't point it out. Did you catch it in the very first verse that we looked at today? In verse 14, verse 16, excuse me. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. What do you mean a brother or a sister? You're talking about your immediate family? Of course he's not talking about your immediate family. He's talking about this family. This family he's writing to. Suppose one of us is without clothes or without food. That's what he's saying. Suppose, did you know that scripture values the fact that you belong to the family of God? Maybe far more than you value it. Do you know that scripture literally charges us to take care of us? Did you know that? I I could show you a lot of places. Let me show you just one more. Galatians 6.10 says, Therefore, have, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. Yes, all people, especially those 
to those who belong to the family of believers. But first, take care of your family. I don't know if you know this, but we dedicate funds to take care of people. I don't know if you know this. We have a, a, a benevolent, we call it the benevolent fund. First and foremost, we use that fund to take care of people who are part of this family. You might go, well, that's showing, no, that's exactly what we're instructed to do. If a brother or sister is in need, but here's what I need you to understand. We're not the government. Do you know how the government gets your money? Do you know how they do it? It's not hard to figure out. Read my lips. They take it. They take it. You don't give a thing. They take it. They tell you how much they're going to take. And you have to give them what they say they're going to take. A church doesn't work like that. The only resources we have, we get nothing from the government. The only resources we have are, is what our family sets aside so we have something in the cupboard. That's it. That's all. That's all. We, we don't have land investments. That's not what we do. We take money that the people of the church, the family, give us, and we set those funds aside. Why am I telling you this? Look, listen to me, family. If you need help, you come to us, and we will do everything within our power to help you. But here's, church, what you need to understand. The only way we can help is if you help them. We don't have anything except what you entrust to us. That's, that's it. Okay? This crazy world we're living in for the last three years has affected all of us, but for some of us, it's about spun us out, and we are mentally at the end of it. There are some people among us who need a lot of help. There's others among you. You know, there's no, I'm, I'm fine. I'm great. Everything's good. The way you have your money structured in your portfolio or whatever, you're fine. Do you understand what's being said here? If you need help, let us help you. If you can help, help us help them. That's what it means. Now, that's all I can say. We can give what you give. We can give away what you give. That's how it works. All right? And the church is not above all this economy. Just so you know, we're all living in this thing together. We can get through this together. But those who can help need to help big time. Now, what about outside the church? Okay, what about be good to all people? Do you guys know anyone who needs help? They're not, they're not, they're not in the church. They're out there. You know any single moms that could desperately use some help? I was raised by a single mom. I know what she had to go through. Is there any way you can help? Can you help her with her car? Can you help her with gas? Can you help her with the rent? Can you help her with, can you help her with, could you babysit? How about grieving families? Anybody know any family who's grieving, who's hurting over anything? Could you step up and help them? You know anyone who, for whatever, you drive by their house, their lawn is so overgrown, there's weeds everywhere. Do you ever look at somebody and go, somebody needs to help them? Could you help them? See, I could keep going down this list, but I think you get the idea. Uh, if you don't yet get it, let me make sure, okay? Genuine faith always reveals itself through the tangible action of blessing others. Not because you're going to go to heaven because you did, but because you're going to go to heaven, you did. It's not going to save you because you do it, but because you're saved, you're going to do it. It's going to make a difference. Now, let me, let me wrap up with these thoughts. Um, first off, you might be going, you know, my faith is in that casket. My faith, uh, there's no vital signs to my faith. 
great news for you. I know a guy. I know a guy who raises people from the dead and makes dead things come back to life. You know, the incredible thing is you might not have a pulse when you walked in here and you walk out of here and there's a little flicker. I guarantee you the Savior named Jesus can raise your faith back to life and make you vital and vibrant again. He can do it. And so I just want to encourage you, turn your attention to him. Now, I also want to say a word of thanks to uh, a guy named Frank. <laughs> I'm going to explain something to you. <laughs> um, we don't tend to have these things just hanging out. You don't either. You know, I got a, I, yeah, in my garage, I got a casket. So we contacted uh, Family Burial and Cremation. And a guy named Frank said, hey, I'll get you, uh, I'll get you a casket. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to pray here and we'll be done. I'm really hoping this is an unused. <laughs> but I don't have the courage to open the lid and look. <laughs> so I hope, you know, and if so, it's a storage fee or something. I don't know. I'm not sure how all that works. No, no. But seriously, I do want to say thank you to Frank. Yeah, you helped us out. I really wanted us to have this. So thank you. Okay, so church, now we got to decide what we're going to do. Just got some stuff in our head. I learned something. Or did we feel something move inside us that we should go do something? My prayer will be, and we're going to continue in our worship, but my prayer will be we will do something. So church, do something. Open your eyes. See what's around you. Find someone to help. So God, uh, thanks for this. Thanks for the time. Thanks for the fun that we have when we come to church. Even in the intensity of this message, we can laugh and realize that, yeah, we're all in this. And God, we all want to benefit from people. We all want to use people to advance our own thing. But God, you made it, you're making it really clear here that this cannot be about us and we need to care about others. So help us in a time like this. May this be the church's finest hour of our lifetime. We botched it so badly during the pandemic, but God, could this be the time when the church literally and utterly took care of needs in such a way that, man, people were so moved and blessed. Use this, Father, I pray. Use us in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much for joining us today. Our hope is that you are left inspired and challenged to continue to grow in your faith. If you are looking for more from Central, follow us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. See you next time. Until then, go be the church.